Welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver, and today's discussion will focus on what can be done to help major infrastructure project teams actually deliver the outcomes that are promised, and specifically ask whether engaging minds early will drive better project success. As any casual observer of infrastructure will be aware, the track record of major project delivery is not good. In fact, a new book by Oxford University professor Bent Flyberg highlights that globally, from his list of 16,000 projects in 136 countries over the last 30 years, just 8.5% met cost and scheduled targets, while just half a percent satisfied all the benefit goals. And okay, I haven't audited his numbers, but they are, on the face of it, a pretty shocking set of findings. So what is going wrong? Uh, Professor Flyberg highlights many, many reasons, but primarily his conclusion, and one that's shared by many others in the industry, or given the number of industry papers and reports on the subject, is poor project initiation or failure in a commissioning stage as the wrong people are left to make the wrong decisions at the wrong moment. So is that true? And if so, how can we change it? Well, to find out, it's my pleasure to welcome Simon Kirby, managing partner at well-known and respected troubleshooting project delivery consultancy, the Nichols Group, and someone who has several decades of experience wrestling with the challenge of delivering major projects and programs. Simon, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Anthony, pleasure to be here. Just one point of clarification, not sure about the several decades, but I could probably squeeze in three and a half, but I may look like several decades, but I'm sure you it's only about three and a half. You look, you're looking younger as always. Uh, Simon, I mean, let's get stuck into it. I'd say, well, I was going to say you've been around the block, you know. Okay, you have, you know, you have been around for several decades. Chief Executive at HS2 for three years, 11 years at Network Rail running their major projects uh, uh, delivery. Before that, uh, and most recently at Chief Operating Officer at Rolls-Royce, where you restructure the group to drive more efficiency in their project delivery. So how do you see the infrastructure project delivery problem? Well, I mean, is there a problem? Well, there must be. I mean, I think your, your assertion's right. We've We've been delivering infrastructure programs for decades and decades. They are hugely sensitive, uh, generally publicly funded, the ones I've been involved with. We do a lot now in the private and public sector and the demand for expertise to work out what has gone wrong on programs and what the client does is there. So there must be a problem. So I suppose in the grand scheme of things, does it matter if projects are a bit late and a bit more expensive if they deliver the goods? Well, define bit. Um, I think it's all about confidence and when programs go late, confidence is here. I mean, when you look in in project delivery up to the Olympics, I think we got to a high degree of confidence in the UK, you know, in, in transport, in the Olympic infrastructure, it doesn't take a lot to dent that confidence. So yes, it does matter because in terms of future programs, future investment, confidence is everything and if we're not delivering then yes it matters absolutely which i suppose then brings me to the question of why my assertion was that the wrong people are left to make the wrong decisions at the wrong moment i mean is that correct you know and if so why does that happen well i mean clearly there's no one single answer i mean the, the title of this is about engaging minds early and that's got to be right um but it, it it's all about getting the right people at the right time, engaged in programs. And I mean, people in the program, stakeholders, people coming up with the requirements, politicians, the public, whatever that is. As the program develops, though, the skills change, the needs change. And all too often, I see the same people involved in programs too long who are experts in initiation, 
but not delivery or vice versa. So I think, you know, it's complex and getting the right capability, the right people is always very important. And I mentioned some other common issues behind the concept of failure, you know, scope and budget, budget creep, you know, failure to understand technology, uh, this optimism bias, urging professionals down the wrong paths. I mean, is that correct? That, that's happening, is it? You know, if we, and if so, you know, why do we have these same problems? Well, I think you know, if there was one answer to that, it would be dead easy, wouldn't it? They're the, the complex programs. I think the, the, the Flyberg, I haven't met him either, by the way, but actually the assertions sound pretty, pretty real. Um, we, we get involved a lot now in strategic reviews of programs when they've had issues and all too often there's common themes in terms of what the issues are and I'm sure we'll talk about those as we go through the podcast rather than me list them all out now but um, they do repeat and they repeat across sectors. Well give, give us an example, I mean, I, I, you know, what is the most obvious common denominator problems that crop up time and again in your, in your experience? The, the, the most fundamental one is getting the requirements of the project clear enough where people all have a common view of what those requirements are. That sounds dead easy, but you and I could agree something and we think we've agreed it. And actually, when we play back in a few weeks' time, we haven't. So getting the requirements set, um, getting them clear and fixed and not changing them. So you know what the programme is and you know what the deliveries are. Um, I've been involved in uh, international programs where we would spend a program meeting the first half of it trying to agree what we'd already agreed in the previous meeting because we all left thinking we'd agreed and <laughs> yeah. a month later we realized we hadn't quite agreed so quite seriously getting that and spending time on that not thinking we have to go to contract we have to do whatever on a date really spending time and getting those requirements locked is definitely something we, we see all too often people not doing okay I mean, just going right back to the start, I say, I titled this around engaging the right minds early. I discussed this issue of setting up a project for success recently with Michelle Dix on the Infrastructure Podcast. I mean, what do you understand by the phrase setting up a project for success? So we, we would encapsulate all of that really around, and this, this is really easy for me to sit on a podcast and say it's clearly not always that easy to do, but it's about getting the right people and it's about engaging with the right people. So working out who the key stakeholders are, who are the people who are really going to need the outcome of this programme. If it's a public programme, then clearly engaging with the public, politicians, uh, the market, the, st- the, the suppliers who are going to deliver the technology. So that is the, those right minds, those right minds at the right time. Right minds and looking for alignment. You never get complete alignment because everyone has different views on most things. But looking for common alignment and looking for um, requirements that collectively people think they can deliver. Um, it's about getting the scope, I say, locked down at that point. It's about learning from other programs and, you know, we can never learn enough. And in my experience, project culture isn't always a learning culture. People like to invent wheels over and over again. And uh, yeah, definitely opportunities there. And, and I think the other one for me, and, and this sounds a dry subject and it can be dry, but for me, it's the most engaged subject is risk management. What are the risks of this program? And actively managing those risks, not seeing risk management as something you do once a month and stick it on a, a drive till you go risk back register. to it next. Yeah, risk register, go back to it. Really making risk management a live and active subject. Um, if, if that risk management is project management, really, if you do it properly. Right. Ultimately, I mean, a lot of what you talked about comes down to people. You know, are we simply not 
either employing the right people or training them in the right way to really appreciate what is meant by risk, for example? Yeah, I think if you go back 20, 15, 20 years, not almost several decades, whatever you said at the start, um, <laughs> we didn't really train project people at all. Now, clearly that now we've got accreditation, we've got lots of structure around that. But when I look at high-performing project teams and less high-performing, it's more about the chemistry of that team, the skills, the experience, the diversity, the challenge, the culture. It's not about having 50 people, all of whom work together on the last 10 projects. Because even if they were great, successful projects, they probably don't really know the root cause why they were great and successful. It certainly probably wasn't the fact that 50 of them working together. So I, I think looking forwards, we need to think much more around diversity of thought, diversity of skills, the people um, in a different way. And leadership clearly is a dimension that goes right through that, um, absolutely the heart of what, what it is. But we hear an awful lot about the use of technology, data, modelling, which is intended to revolutionise project delivery for the better, maybe to fill the resource gaps or the skills gaps. Um, I mean, is, is that likely to happen or is it likely to make the problems worse? I think it depends what you talk about. I mean, technology for me in terms of project delivery is the technology in the project. So making sure you understand what technology you're putting into the project. Things are clearly getting much more digitally based. Project skills need to reflect the fact they're digitally based. You know, historically in infrastructure, civil engineers dominated the, the environment. That has clearly changed in the last 20 years. And I see that just continually changing as more digital um, and the, the lines between electrical, mechanical, civil get blurred over time. So it's helping that communication process more, more than anything. And understanding the risks of that. But technology and project delivery, I think we are certainly not realising the full opportunity of it. There are, there are skill sets out there, there's technology out there now that we can use more of to improve our project delivery performance. But what I have seen and, and is just something people shouldn't do is forward sell the benefits of technology. Right. So yeah, we think we're going to be 30% lower cost because we've got this new whatever system and forward selling that in the budget. That is just a recipe for um, bad things to happen. Yeah, which, which brings us on to um, you know, the, the Nichols Group approach. I mean, you've been working at, at Nichols Group for the last four years. I mean, I describe them as well-known and uh, you know, respected troubleshooting project delivery consultancy. I mean, is that an accurate description? Of, you know, how would you describe what the Nichols Group does? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're programme change specialists. So whatever programme change means in terms of setting up a programme, reviewing programmes that aren't necessarily going that well and getting that learning into the programme... Yeah, for the whole life cycle, but we we tend to hire people who are um, who have had a career doing something in their for, in their mid thirties into their forties in the program space, and then coming into consultancy. Uh, we always work client side, and um, yeah, it's all about project uh, change specialism, and um, that's that's changing them when they're tending to be heading south, going in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, trying to get them going back in the right direction. Yeah, or, or, or learning from ones that have um, gone awry in some way and building that into a new programme when a client's setting up a new programme. Um, we, we, it's interesting, actually. We, we, I think whether we're unique or not, we're certainly different. We've got a huge amount of diversity in the business. We've got 50-50 gender split, for example, in the business. Right. Um, we've got 
diversity in all sorts of backgrounds and and that's becoming much more of a common need now so when we look at programs we spend a lot of time now looking at leadership and diversity and again it wasn't that long ago you'd be looking much more at technology and risk and other things so you're looking much broader all comes down to people and of course it was formed 40 years ago by the late Mike Nichols, a man who was synonymous with major project delivery excellence and a philosophy and ethos to be, I think he describes as absolutely determined from the outset to, to achieve wholly successful projects every time. Very high standards. I mean, how did he achieve that? And I suppose, and how does that thinking pervade the business today? It's interesting. Mike um, clearly made a name for, for the, himself and the brand around infrastructure delivery. He was actually from an automotive background. And I think some of the disciplines from that automotive background follow through into, into the sort of ethos of the business today. Um, in terms of the approach, all the things we talked around in the initiation phase, we use the word sponsorship, and that's still not widely used as a term in various sectors. But having someone accountable for the business case and the whole program and the initiation of bringing it together, that was very much something uh, as a process that Mike developed. And, um, you know... It, I think 15 years ago, the review of the Highways Agency at the time, obviously National Highways now, introduced project sponsorship. So it was fundamentally looking at the strategic approach to programme delivery and the sort of factors around that. I mean, it, it all seems reasonably simple and straightforward. Why is, why is his thinking still looked upon as unusual in the industry? Whether unusual is the right word, certainly quality of sponsorship is still very mixed and not always readily... Um, developed. I, I don't have a reason for that. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time today with clients right. working out why things haven't worked. And, you know, had they have embraced that at the start, they might have been in a different place. I haven't, if I knew the answers to that, we'd probably be out of business. <laughs> no, because we, we talk about, I mean, I was speaking to Andy Mitchell about, you know, intelligent clients and, you know, whether, you know, whether it's important. You know, I mean, fundamentally, you need, you know, you need to have a, a, a client that knows enough um, uh, about what it wants. I suppose that's the fundamental thing at the start, understanding what the client wants. And not changing it, yeah. Yeah, and not changing it. And I think you know, the theme around infrastructure is these are long-term programmes. They span you know, decades in terms of delivery. So the tendency to tweak and influence the scope and specification is very compelling at times and very easy and very misunderstood. For me, there's, there's something around scope, schedule and cost at times, one of those has to have primacy. You can't balance them all, all the time. So if you've got an issue with the schedule and you've really got to hold the schedule, there's a cost or scope implication. You can't kid yourself, you can get all the scope, the cost will still be okay, but let's keep driving the schedule or, or whatever configuration of the three you, you come up with. And having a process and a, and a, and a leadership team capable of actually doing that is is at times something you know again I just don't see and I suppose capable of doing it but also capable of explaining that and selling that to the client as as the right way forward I said earlier you've built a career around major project delivery you know started at British Rail but then in defense with the VS, uh, VSEL and uh, GC Marconi then BAE systems before moving to network rail and then major projects I mean do you have a favorite period of your career Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I suppose two spring to mind. Um, so the British Rail bit, I was an apprentice and um, very proud of the fact I did apprenticeship, then I did a degree and things later. But the learning of being an apprentice in a, in a factory environment 
is kind of a life skill. You know, just learn, you meet people that you probably wouldn't normally meet. You engage in different things. And now, you know, when I'm looking now at uh, the rail sector, you know, I have personally stripped down bogeys. I've put trains together. I've worked on uh, a wheel lathe, all that sort of stuff that sounds really right, dull yeah. and dry. But actually... They're, they're skills for life. So I think, and I was young and we had fun and everything else. So that was definitely one. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I've loved my career and I still love doing what I do. I'm passionate about program delivery but and initiation. But I think probably coming up to the Olympics, you know, right, we're yeah. finishing things like King's Cross Station, Blackfriars, you know, the, the, the opening of that. When you're finishing something like that, fantastic and it, it you know that whole period was great having said that a ship launch is a pretty amazing experience when you've had a team <laughs> yeah. working on a ship for four or five years and in a moment it's in the water and it's um it's always it's, it's always it's good there. if they float as well i imagine it's it always, always helps yeah it certainly makes the day a better day if it does unfortunately they all did but uh, my point is it's a team effort over many many years and in that moment yeah, yeah, yeah. wow you see the product yeah well you, you know, as long as i've known you some you've always been immersed in what to seem to me is pretty high pressure working environments um you know and you're passionate about delivering those um, uh, outcomes i mean it, i mean is that true have they been high pressure you know and if so what attracts you to those positions um i don't know being high i mean i suppose some would judge their high pressure it doesn't always feel like that of course you know there's always times where anyone's under pressure in a job like what attracts me to those positions is is simple really it's about the product it's about creating something for people creating something that you know has a legacy has a purpose um and, and just the buzz of creating a team that delivers things like that it just yeah it just gives me a personal satisfaction that i love and and i guess that's why i do it i never thought about it to be honest i've never <laughs> thought about it like that but anyway well you spent a lot of time commuting to do it as i remember i mean you're living in the lake district and traveling to london and around the country on a weekly basis are you still doing that uh yeah i am actually not probably not in the same way as we all are now in terms of you know prior to covid i was in london five days a week doing a monday friday commute now it's a uh, you know, two or three days a week in London, two, three days a week in the office at home. So, um, yeah, quite different, quite different. Is the commute getting easier? Well, it is when I'm working in the office. It's a dream, yeah. I walk <laughs> five metres and, and I'm in. Um, the, is the commute getting any easier? Well, there's certainly, obviously, um, we've had issues in the rail sector this year and last year. Um, hopefully, we're getting through those now. Um, I, I love the rail. I, I actually a bit of a nerd. I, I love traveling by train. I love talking to people who work on the trains and stations, and, and I kind of enjoy that bit of the commute as well. So, and it's long enough to get some work done. It's, it must be interesting no, knowing a bit behind, the, yeah, having worked for Network Rail, so knowing knowing the background to what goes into making it work must be quite an interesting. Yeah, you can know too much at times as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, what fills you? What fills your time when you're not at work? I'm obviously living in the Lake District. I imagine you spend a lot of time in the great outdoors. A fair bit, yeah, yeah. I I love walking in the lakes. Um, just just general family stuff, really. Cycling in the lakes. So, yeah, I'm really lucky to live in such a beautiful part of the country. So you can't live here and not really get out and enjoy the place. Not always the greatest weather, but you just get through that and go on with it. So um, yeah. <laughs> Well, getting back to infrastructure, as we said at the start, uh, success really does involve getting the right minds engaged early. So who are those right minds? Um, well, I think there's a balance of the programme client team um, 
having a, a sponsorship team that can work out with the client. I mean, at times you've got to work out who the client is, which you know sounds again quite obvious, but who is the customer, who's the client? Uh, developing those requirements, creating the program team, engaging with suppliers, politicians, stakeholders, the public. But fundamentally, it comes back to having the right people in the client team who are capable of doing that and the skill sets of that. And then that team evolving over the life of the program as the skills and needs change over the program. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned politicians then. As Sir John Armit, uh, chair of the National Infrastructure Commission, uh, keeps reminding us, infrastructure is political, deeply political. It's unavoidable. You know, to what extent does political interference make it hard or harder to engage those right minds at the right moments on projects? Well, of course, John's right. I mean, it, it is always going to be political. Um, political timescales are much shorter than infrastructure timescales. So... As you go for a political timescale, perhaps a new government, new, new MP, whatever the project is you're, you're doing, the engagement will change and the views will change. Um, I don't call that interference, really. It is, it is what it is. If they're publicly funded, they're there for the public. And the representatives of the public of that day clearly want to have their own um, influence. I think, personally, we are getting better in terms of politicians understanding where and when they can and can't change scope on. I can speak around some, you know, that's purely transport probably comment, but we could do a lot better, definitely, because it's back to where we talked around scope. It doesn't matter who's changing the scope, it will have a detrimental impact on the programme. Right, yeah. Um, you also mentioned the need to learn, and Crossrail, for example, has just launched its learning legacy website to try to help the industry learn from the good and bad outcomes of what is now the Elizabeth Line. Um, I mean, is it likely that the sector will learn from those kind of exercises? Um, well, first of all, the Elizabeth Line, I think, is fantastic, and it's an example of brilliant infrastructure, and it's a great idea setting up the legacy um, knowledge learning sharing that they've done. But it does need people to want to learn. And I'd love to say yes. I'd love to say as an industry, we're going to learn every lesson from Crossrail. Uh, I'm not quite so sure it will be in that way. Some will learn, many won't. And sadly, I think in you know, 10, 15 years time, we'll be talking about things that didn't get fully learned. Because they're complex. It's not, it's not like, they're, they're complex issues. It's very easy to say system integration is really important actually really integrating understanding the technology of a complex transport system yeah yeah it, it's it's complex but i suppose there's also a tendency for infrastructure professionals to try to sort of find this the technical fix rather than seeking uh, the harder cultural shift that will really make the difference i mean is that is that a fair uh, assertion yeah i think it is um we, we definitely again facing up to this more but the whole issue of the culture of a program how information's handled, how bad news or good news flows up and down an organisation. That you know, I mentioned before, diversity, having diverse thinking, have collaborative mindsets, collaborative relationships with the whole supply base engaged in a programme is definitely, in my experience, the most important aspect of any programme leadership team. Um, but it is very easy just to focus on the, the technology. I mean, the, pro the other point, I guess, on that is 
programs are all about outcomes. Building a railway is all about creating economic growth. It's creating an asset right, yeah. for, you know, look at King's Cross now and go walk around the back of King's Cross between the St Pancras Kings. Look at the development and investment in that area. When you're in a railway project, it's very easy to get wrapped up around what type of signalling system you've got or whatever, whatever right. technology you're talking about. It's a means to an end. Well, just to finish on that note, well, yeah, I mean, investment in infrastructure is still seen as key to driving economic growth. Um, how can we be sure that this investment will give value for money? Well, I think, you know, we, we started, you started quite some depressing data there around the fact. So um, we've talked around the subject in, in the sort of rounds. For me, you know, the, the subject matter of this engaging minds early has to be the right aspect and certainly something Nichols is is looking at a lot now and you mentioned Crossrail is program integration in the macro sense in terms of decisions you're making early in a program how they impact on commissioning and vice versa and I think there's opportunity in that around making decisions understanding the full consequences of those decisions rather than just making the decision Um, but yeah it's ultimately back to people it's back to the issues we've said and it's back to early engagement and doing all the things we've discussed in an improved way but i suppose it's also about engaging with someone like yourself i mean how can someone like you uh, at Nichols help ensure that future projects are more likely to be the eight and a half percent that succeed rather than the ninety one point five percent that as flyberg says fails to live up to expectation you know, I suppose to do what you say you will do uh, and make sure that's routine or at least common. Well, I mean, for, you know, that, that's what we do. So if you, anyone listening has a need like that, give us a shout and we'll, we'll try and help if we think it's appropriate to help, obviously. But ultimately, it comes back to us as experienced leaders helping other people in whatever way that is. So, I mean, I sit on a couple of advisory boards today, a programme board, and just trying to get learning into into situations where I've just seen in the past someone make a mistake. And yet every time you do something like that, you hopefully alleviate a mistake and you improve programme performance. Um, we've got about 65 professionals. That's basically what we do all day. So, yeah, pick up the phone or email or LinkedIn or whatever else you you wish to do. That was a, a really cheesy plug to end on, Anthony. Apologies. No, no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm, no I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting uh, subject and a really, really tricky issue for the industry to deal with. But I think the reality is that the numbers I quoted there demonstrate that it's a, an issue that really has to be solved. So, Simon, thanks so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast and thanks for uh, um, hopefully giving us some clues as to what we can do better in the future. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks, Simon. Uh, as I say, that's all we've got time for today, but we will have more from the Infrastructure Podcast in the pipeline and more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faced across the sector. And if you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com where you will find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks again to Simon, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Hey.